I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. This week, my guest is Julia Gamolina, Director of Strategy for Trahan Architects in New York City, as well as the founder and editor of Madame Architect, an online publication focusing on the women who advance the practice of architecture. Julia is dedicated to the built environment and the visibility of women who work in it. Her writing has also been featured in Fast Company, A Women's Things, and The Architect's Newspaper. Earlier this year, she was named one of Apartment Therapy's Design Changemakers, and she's been recognized among construction's top 20 under 40. Julia received her Bachelor of Architecture at Cornell, graduating with the Charles Goodwin Sands Memorial Medal for Exceptional Merit in the Thesis of Architecture. In this conversation, we address representation, what gender bias in the workplace can look like, and how to build a different type of environment where women can thrive. Julia, it's a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Um, I'm going to start by bringing you back in time a little bit. And uh, I'd love for you to tell me, you know, growing up, what were you dreaming of, of or imagining you'd be doing in life later? And was becoming an architect already on your radar at that time? Sure. So I grew up in multiple places. Um, I was born in Russia and I lived there until I was eight in Novosibirsk in Siberia. And then some of my kind of preteen informative years were spent in Toronto. And then I went to high school in Colorado. So that's as a, as a foundation, but in Russia, um, I did a lot of performing arts, actually. I did a lot of dance and singing and and things like this. I went to an after-school school school that focused on these things. So I kind of had a very, I don't know, I feel like I always had a very dense existence with activities and running around from thing thing to thing, which is maybe why I'm (laughs) able to do, you know, working at Trahan Architects and Madam Architect right now. But All this to say is also, in addition to that, I saw myself as a teacher. I think that was the first profession I had in mind for myself. And I'm not sure why. Um, I was an only child. And I don't know if something with that and just like being in control and being in charge (laughs) of your reality translated into what I thought my profession would be in that way. Um, But that was kind of the early and the first vision I had for myself. And then when we moved to Toronto, um, I think... I was writing a lot and I was drawing a lot because as a new kid, I had a lot of time to myself. And from that, I definitely considered journalism. I considered fashion design. Um, And I think my parents, you know, were immigrants and we were trying to establish, you know, ourselves in in this new country thought, oh my gosh, if this girl becomes a journalist or a fashion designer, she'll never make any money. So how about we find her something to suggest that might be a little bit more steady and stable? And it was architecture. So they, my dad and my mom, my dad's a structural engineer, by the way, my mom's a mathematician. They were the ones that, you know, put the idea of architecture in my mind early. And also, actually, this was a pretty formative experience. We learned English by watching movies on rotation, kind of the same movies over and over. And one of those was One Fine Day with Michelle Pfeiffer and George Clooney. And Michelle Pfeiffer plays an architect in New York City in that movie. And so I'm pretty sure that, like, my destiny had been decided when <laughs> we started learning English in that movie. 
I love that story. That is that is so funny. And as an only child myself, I can understand kind of that, you know, desire for independence and, uh, you know, in, in kind of influencing what your choice of profession would be. Um, who are your role models? And you've mentioned your mom. Um, were there women, and you've mentioned Michelle Pfeiffer in that movie, but yep. were there kind of women, uh, you know, that were inspiring to you that you were looking up to, or maybe they came later in your, uh, in your journey? There were for sure. So definitely my mom, um, you know, just, and my dad, just seeing them start all over in a new country. And one thing I should mention is they, so my mom had a PhD in mathematics, was a calculus professor in Russia. My dad was a structural engineer. When we moved to Canada, they, they lost that accreditation. Um, there, there was no reciprocity. And so my dad was a delivery guy for, um, like fried chicken and then worked as a carpenter um and he worked in construction and my mom worked on the retail sales floor for maternity clothes when she was pregnant with my brother so I'm no longer an only child <laughs> my brother and I have a very big age gap 12 years but um but anyway so you know seek that I think just the idea of not really the hustle but doing whatever is needed to kind of get to where you want they instilled in me pretty early but in terms of other role, mod role models, um, this actually goes into kind of another way I was mentored, not necessarily by people, but by media is uh, I read a lot of magazines when I was in Toronto and in Colorado. Again, a lot of time to myself uh, trying to kind of find my place in these new worlds. And um, I remember reading there was a blurb with the editor-in-chief of Seventeen magazine sometime in the early 2000s. I forget who it was specifically, but like I read her column a ton and that was somebody I looked up to. And, you know, someone sent in a question once asking like, how do you become an editor-in-chief? Do I need to study journalism? And she was like, not at all. I studied political science. So that I think something was planted then also. Um, but I also really looked up to Anna Wintour growing up and I, there, you know, there's all kinds of things uh, about her out in the media, and I've never met her, so I, you know, can't comment whether they're true or not true. But just uh, hearing her talk about creative vision and being decisive and kind of sticking to what you think is right for the platform that you're running, you know, she's made some decisions that were seen as very controversial, but she completely stuck to her guns. And um, I think that kind of seeing that was, was really good for me in a lot of ways. And were there women in, in architecture specifically, or maybe it was even when you actually started your career, like, you know, and I'm curious to know, because architecture, generally speaking, is male, you know, or women are underrepresented. Or, and, and I think we see, when I picture an architect, the idea that comes to mind is, you know, a studio full of men. Um, so wondering what that was like, and what your experience was when you first, you know, stepped foot in uh, in the, in the, in an architect studio. Yeah. So I knew nothing about architecture or architects when I decided to study it. And then when I actually went to Cornell to study it, um, except for Michelle Pfeiffer and her role in one fine day. So my introduction of an architect to me and the person that I pictured that was when the word architect came to mind or someone said it to me was Michelle Pfeiffer and it was a woman. So that I think is really key and foundational. But then when I started in school, um, it was definitely more heavily male. We had so many wonderful female professors. Um, but I do remember like the first architect I ever saw lecture was a guy and my studio professor were two guys. And um, I only had one studio professor, which is the main design course that was a woman. And it was also the studio I did the best in, just best grade, best time, you know, really wonderful growth experience. And that was Caroline O'Donnell, who's now the chair of undergraduate um, education at Cornell for architecture. So 
clearly uh, another role model. But yeah, I would say she was kind of the first woman in the field that I really looked up to. And she was just super cool. She's from Ireland. Um, she did not fit the mold of what we were taught or you know, what the image of an architect was. And I think that was really great for me to see first. Um, and then, right, so in school and then both graduating and going into the profession, it was very heavily male. The founders of studios were mostly men. When I started working at my first job, um, there were very few women. There was maybe one woman that was an architect and the other two women were in marketing or business development. Um, so from a design perspective, it was there there weren't as many women to look up to as maybe I had hoped. And so that's actually how Madam Architect then later came about. I took it upon myself to go find the women that were there. It turns out there are so many that just people were talking to them. <laughs> and that's, that's just how everything snowballed. And what was your, and I, and I want to talk about Madam Architect and what you're accomplishing there some more, but what was your experience, you know, as a young woman in the profession, did you experience gender inequity at all or, or gender bias or uh, was it a, a smoother introduction for you? You know, so interesting. It was, it was really both. Um, you know, when I first started especially when I was an intern, I had, I heard things like, you know, you're so enthusiastic, but you don't have enough experience, you know, go get some experience and come back. And I don't know how much that relates to gender, but I kind of think it does because, you know, this, they, this came from a guy, <laughs> first of all. And I think, you know, if I, I can see that if a young guy was being mentored or working with the same, the same gentleman that I was, uh, this gentleman would maybe take this guy under his wing and, and train him, you know, I, I just have a feeling that that's how it would play out. And it's not just a feeling I have, I think it's, you know, what I'm saying is built on a lot of collected experiences that now <laughs> makes me know that this, this is the, this is the case. But then when I finally settled in at a firm at my first firm and stayed there for a couple of years, when I was early in my career, I find that people were very nurturing and kind of would take me under their wing, both men and women, and show me the ropes and kind of teach me. And then the older I got and the more advanced I, you know, as I advanced in the industry, that went away. And so I almost think that this like nurturing, taking you under the wing, the approach early on is also kind of gender-based um, because I was treated as this like precious new person, if you will. Um, and maybe taken less seriously in that way. I don't know. It's really hard to say because I only know my own experience. I don't have the experience of a young guy starting in the industry. Um, but it is interesting. There's kind of a, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? And there's pros and cons to being treated anyway, but that is what I experienced. Heavy, heavy, heavy nurturing early on. Um, also told I don't have enough experience and to go get some experience. And then as I started to come into management positions, I think that's where the discrimination started being felt more. And tell me about starting Madame Architect. So what was kind of the general feedback, you know, when you started speaking to women in, in the profession? Uh, you know, what what did you hear back from your from your peers, basically? Yeah, so I was completely blown away by the response when it first launched. And it first launched as a guest editorship on um, a nonprofit's blog that I was a part of um, called Architects, R-K-T-E-X-X. Flex chromosome. Um, so let's see. So when I first launched that um, guest editorship, the feedback was insane. And I could not actually believe how many people kind of resonated with the series because the reason Madam Architect has started is because it was for very personal reasons for me. There were two things I was missing in my career and two things I knew were 
extremely important to me that I kind of couldn't go without. And one was mentorship by women and the other was writing. I had always been a writer, like I mentioned earlier, but kind of put that identity aside in architecture school because it was so heavily focused on design studio culture. And when I graduated, I was I, I knew that um, writing was something I had to integrate in my career somehow. And I wanted to write for magazines, but I had no idea how, no idea how to get my foot in the door. I didn't have a body of work uh, of writing that I was proud of because all my time was you know focused on my portfolio and and thesis and studio. So anyway, so I was actually looking for ways that I could be writing. Um, and then the other the other side of why Madame Architect started was the mentorship aspect. I had always been mentored by my teachers that were women growing up, just again, being a new kid in a new country. Often I would go to my teachers for guidance and then my professors eventually. And when I graduated, like I mentioned, not a lot of women around. So that's part of why I joined this nonprofit. And it was for mentorship for women in the field. And um, there were a lot of seasoned practitioners that were kind of part of this collective and a lot of young women. And I just, by chance, met um, a couple of women at these meetups, at these networking happy hours, um, asked one of them, Vivian Lee, if, if she could be my mentor, honestly, only because we had really great chemistry and just kind of hit it off. And I think that sometimes mentorship or any sort of intimate relationship, like this is almost like dating, like it, it won't quite work as well if you don't have that chemistry. Um, but anyway, so after meeting with her and asking her all kinds of questions. I was just so inspired and motivated every time we had a session, if you will, like when I would go to her office and just ask her my list of things that I put together for her. Um, I thought, you know, this is too good for me to keep to myself. I, I know other young women just like me have these questions too. And how can I share this? And again, I wanted to write and I thought, okay, I'll do long form Q and A's for this nonprofit's blog. Um, and again, just went from there. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. And I was going to ask you about, you know, building community and, and you've talked about mentorship specifically, um, generally speaking in your work life, and this would be an example of how you do build those bridges. I, what, what role does community play for you and how do you go about creating it? Great question. I never realized the power of community until I, I think until really not a architect and until I kind of built a network and a life here in New York city, because I always moved. And so, you know, my parents and I were these nomads and I was kind of this, like, I was just, I was, um, not an, I was an outsider, right. In, in a lot of ways. And so I always felt like I was looking from the outside in into communities and, but not quite being ingrained in, in either one. And it's when I moved to New York and like really got to know people here. And the New York is now the longest place I've ever lived. Actually it's tied with Russia, but um, just seeing how it took, you know, eight years of being here to build community, to build a network, um, to build my career. It's really come to mind and gosh, in terms of community and kind of, you know, the, what was your question? Kind of the benefits of it or? 
Yeah. How do you approach community building? What role does it play for you and, and how you go about building it, basically? Yeah. I, in terms of how to build it, I think authenticity is, is a word that's overused maybe right now. Um, and no matter, but no matter how trite it is, it, it really is about that. I think you just have to find people that truly care about the same things that you do. And, and that's, that could be different for, you know, different themes in different communities, but everyone kind of has to be aligned with what the core of the community is about. And, you know, in Madam Architect's case, it is about professional advancement for women. And I have to say, it's so clear how much of that was missing in the industry because we have such a loyal following. Our following is not the biggest. Um, it's, it's good for, I think, being a niche thing in a niche industry. <laughs> but what I do know about our followers and our readers is that they are very, very, very loyal. I will, you know, I was at a lunch once with a landscape architect. So not even, you know, a traditional architect who like is the main kind of audience for what we do. Um, and I, and she, she said how much she loves Madam Architect. And I said, oh, what interview like stood out to you the most? What interview do you love? And which have you read? And she goes, oh, all of them. Like I read all of them. And I actually hear that a lot, which is baffling to me because it's, it's, we now have a lot of content. Yeah. I just think a really true alignment, a very authentic alignment of what is really, really important and what, uh, people kind of care about and want to push forward themselves is the number one basis for, you know, a strong community mm-hmm. in building it. Yeah, love that. And I'm going to turn a question around because you you asked me some questions before before we got on this con- in this conversation. And so out of the women you've spoken to for Madame Architect, um, what are some lessons that come to mind? And maybe even if you recall, you know, a few anecdotes from specific conversations that were kind of an, you know, eye-opening for you or, or really inspiring? Yeah, certainly. I've noticed that our themes they tend to come based from where a woman is in her career. So, you know, founders of firms that have been kind of doing this for a while and are now looking for what's the next step, they tend to say the same things. People starting out tend to say the same things. But so I've kind of learned from that. Um, One thing that surprised me is when I was graduating and uh, kind of figuring out what I was going to be doing, I heard so much advice about, you know, picking what you want and going for it as though it was very linear and kind of this bullseye on a dartboard. And my interviews have proven that it doesn't really work like that. There's just way too much out of your control. And I, I mean, I've learned that from just experiential learning by like living my life and, you know, trying to do things and something's working out, something's not, but um, nobody has really said, you know, have a strategy in mind, have this bullseye, do whatever you need to do to get there, you know, bulldoze things. I it, it just, it, hasn't worked like that for a lot of people I've spoken to. Everyone says, make decisions based on what interests you, what feels good, what excites you, follow people. People are the most important thing. And I would say it's been really about that. It's been kind of take an organic approach to career as opposed to a strategic one. Uh, Obviously, there's a time and place for strategy, maybe within kind of these micro moments and micro timelines, but not for the next 50 years. It's just completely impossible. Um, And and to find the good people and really learn from them and follow them, if that makes sense. Uh, And just to, to build a community of support around you, support, mentorship, sponsorship, all of it. Yeah, I, I can relate to that as well. I think that was one of the, the biggest myths that I was told yes. that you have to have a 15 year plan and a 20 year plan. And what's your what's your you know, what's the strategy? Yeah. 
And it's like, that's not how life works. Not at all. It's just not, not at all. And you're right. There are moments where we need more of the data driven decisions, but then also just, you know, it's, it's a flowing river basically. So 100%. I, I, I can relate to that. Um, what is something you wish you knew earlier in your career that you know now? Hmm. Maybe not so much what I wish I knew, but I wish I was just less insecure. <laughs> I think, I forget, I think it was maybe Anna Wintour that said this. Actually, it definitely is because I would Google like Anna Wintour advice when I was starting my career. And one of it was that insecurity is a waste of time. And I, I really, really agree with that. I just think there were some things that I was so hesitant to finally decide, which in some ways actually is good because in some ways, this kind of thought procrastination is not bad because then you really consider everything and really make an informed decision that maybe it'll take a little longer, but you will know what's right and you won't want to go back or think you made a mistake. Um, but I do think that, you know, some of the self-doubt I had or, or the questioning over and over of the same thing could have saved me a lot of time. Um, it's hard though, because I'm very happy with where I am. So, you, you know, all advice is autobiographical and taken with a grain of salt, but I, I do wish I had a little bit less self-doubt and I wish I was a little bit more decisive and that could have opened up more headspace for other things for me, I think. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But I, I also agree with what you're saying, right? You, It's also what got you to where you are today. So uh, sure. you, you can be grateful for that. Um, so you, you know, you're, you're an architect, you work in a profession that designs things and where, you know, you take into account, uh, spaces that, uh, that, that people move, uh, in, in and around, um, what kind of responsibility comes with your work? Um, you know, how do you approach, you know, kind of that role and the impact you can have on other people's lives and, and also thinking of, uh, even a city and a community, right? You, you, you can have that impact directly. Yeah. I love this question so much because I feel the responsibility in three ways. Um, and there's kind of three. So my, my career has really had three tracks. I talk about it, two tracks, professional practice in an architectural firm and in media with Madam Architect. But really it's three because I started out as a designer, as an architectural designer, designing spaces, designing, you know, uh, things that are occupiable by other people. And, um, there's that aspect then there's the business strategy aspect which is what I focus on now and then obviously there's Madam Architect which is media and communication and you know putting people in the spotlight and giving people voices and so there's three responsibilities with design I think it's really interesting because ever since the racial reckoning last summer in the United States and Black Lives Matter movement I'm hearing a lot of firms talk about realizing how architecture has for so long been an aesthetic practice and now they're thinking about well how is it a social practice I actually find that baffling that they're saying that they thought architecture was an uh, aesthetic practice until 2020. My training at Cornell has taught me that architecture is meant to be performative. And what that means is not performative in terms of like theatrical performance, but performative in terms of, you know, being it a productive agent for the people that are using it, you know, performative in a sustainable way, you know, does this exterior skin uh, give back to the environment and somehow maybe not harm it as much or, you know, process clean air better um, performative for the individual in terms of what does the space do for the individual physically, emotionally, all of that. So in, in terms of design, I just think architects have a real responsibility to make sure their buildings are performing and being productive for their people. Forget about form. Um, obviously, don't forget about the social aspects, but I think the social um, aspects are tied in, you know, talking about performance and like real um, robust performance. So that's design and 
building cities, all of that. In terms of business, I'm reading um, Let My People Go Surfing by the founder of Patagonia right now. And it's about how do you make a business, which completely, fall, you know, businesses tend to fall into this capitalized mindset, which is very much in conflict with uh, doing things that are good for the world, doing things that are good for the environment. And so now I'm thinking a lot about how do you build a business that then produces these buildings for people? Um, there's kind of two phases to it. And I don't have all the answers yet, but that's something I'm trying to read up a lot on is how do you build a responsible business that does that, that does more good than harm and hopefully no harm at all. And then finally with Manum Architect, it's a huge responsibility to making to make sure to spotlight people that are doing great work and responsible work and that are being good stewards of the environment and you know kind to other people. And um, I feel the responsibility in that way very much. And why do you think women and non-binary people make great architects? You know, what do you see something that maybe you bring or that colleagues bring to the role? And, and we can extend that to, you know, designers and, and so on. There's so much I can say to this question. It's also so simple. I think just in general, the people that are designing our world should be very reflective of the people in our world. And people are talking about this very much in Kind of popular culture in terms of government um you know you see who's running for for positions now um for house and senate you know in in the united states and that's what everyone's talking about we need people in there that are representative of the people that they're representing and it's the same for designers and so i in terms of women and non-binary people and why they make good architects i think ultimately it all comes down to empathy and lived experience and you can much better design having lived a lot of these things, then obviously if you haven't. Um, and so I, I just think a healthy mix of everyone, men, women, non-binary individuals, you know, all these different identities uh, working together will make for the for the best built environment period. I, I love that. And I wrote down those words, the way you, you, you know, the first part of your answer was, uh, I think, for very important people who design our world need to represent our world and reflect our world. Um, what would be the usual cliche question, but what would be your advice or your, your tips for uh, a young woman or non-binary people um, starting out in a field similar as yours? Yeah, know that you are so unique and nobody in the world has the same combination of lived experiences as you do. Um, and that is your power. That is what you bring to the table. That is kind of your expertise. Uh, you know, when you start in the profession, People telling you, oh, you have no experience, that is that is complete fallacy because you will have had, you know, over 20 years by that point of lived experience, you know, maybe of living in different places and getting to know people all around the world or maybe being brought up in a certain community of writers or artists or, you know, whatever it is that other people don't have, even if they're from the same town, even if they're from the same neighborhood, they don't have the same family, like you are so unique and special. And again, that is your superpower. So when people talk about finding your voice or knowing your value, that is where all that comes from. It's from the experiences that you've lived and what you've seen and what you know. And um, there is no one else that has that. So I, I advise anyone to just know that that's where their strengths are coming from. Mm -hmm. Good advice. And my favorite question to always ask guests on the show, what do you wish women or non-binary people would do less of? Because we often, I used to ask, what do you wish they would do more of? But it's been brought up that we already do so much in this world. So I've changed the way I phrase the question. 
trying to think of how to best articulate this. Uh, I've seen a lot of young women coming up and I'm totally, I totally did this myself too. And I think you'll know what I'm talking about. It's the nervous giggle at the end of, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. You know, uh, somebody will make a statement that is so valid and so true and an important statement to make. And then they'll giggle at the end to kind of, you know, I don't know. Such a good one. You know exactly what I'm saying. It's to kind of, and it takes away immediately from the confidence behind that statement, from, you know, the truth behind that statement somehow. And so I, again, I used to do this. I hope I don't anymore. I think I still sometimes do depending on who I'm speaking to. So I'm now actively working on it, but just again, what I had just said about your uniqueness and your strengths coming from your lived experience that no one else has, the things that you were saying are, you know, very, um, very valid and they're not to be diminished by yourself or anybody else. And even if it seems, you know, for some reason, silly or inappropriate to somebody else, again, they're not coming from something they're not coming to something from the same context that you are. So, you know, there's no such thing as a stupid question. There's no such thing as a weird take. Just, you have your take and your questions and that's it. And, you know, stand by that. I just did the nervous giggle. Yeah. (laughs) But this, in this, it's, it's a safe space. You're, you're allowed in here. It, I equate that to a smiley face or exclamation, multiple exclamation points in an email, right? It's like when we're, we're saying something that's, it has merit. It stands on its own. And then why do we feel the need to add like that little thing at the end? Right? Exactly. hundred uh, percent. So that's a good one. Well, thank you so much, Julia. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll follow Madame Architect and uh, keep up with all of your great content. And we've got, we've got a few things we're working on together. So very much looking forward to that. Thank you me so too. much for speaking with me today. Thank you, Ava. Thank you for having me. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brand is Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Marketing and digital growth, Kayla Gillis. And partnerships, Natalie Hope.